Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven, seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him and say, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you and all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the witness of your word and the proclamation your word is to herald to us who you are what you've done, what you've accomplished, your nature, your, your character, what, what it is to know you truly and rightly. So God, I pray um, that as we open up your word now, the word that was just read uh, would become clear to our hearts and our minds, and that our hearts would be transformed uh, in knowing you better. God, I pray uh, that as we proclaim it now, God, that your spirit would be at work in the way that only you can. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. We live in an on-demand world, do we not? We like our food fast and hot and ready and always accessible. We have not just microwaves, but now we have air fryers. I haven't quite figured ours out, but we have one. And supposedly I could bake or fry something really fast, but I've only just made smoke in there so far. But I hear they're fast. Shopping is not something the old days, an endless catalog, or even getting in your car to go somewhere. We have an endless catalog at the swipe of our fingers, and it will be at your house in two days or less. We have every bit of information imaginable on our lightning fast internet, also available at the click of just a few taps on the little device in our pocket. We can stream or even binge any TV show at any time. You don't have to wait for nine, eight, you know, nine, uh, eight central, you know, whatever your time. You don't have to wait for the weekly episode. You can just pick a show that's already uploaded to whatever your streaming service is and just binge all the episodes without stopping. You don't have to wait anymore. Our air travel is worldwide. You can get just about anywhere except for Halitla, Mexico. It's hard to get there, but 
Most places you can get to, we have major interstates with mile, you know, with speed limits in the above 70 miles an hour where you can just fly down the road and cover vast distances very quickly. Our on-demand world has put so much of the world at our grasp. It is so accessible to us. And yet, as fast as all these advantages have made uh, everything accessible, it has not eliminated our impatience. Has it not? In fact, I could sense among you, even as I was describing those things, you were actually thinking of the things you get frustrated with, like the long fast food lines. Uh, even though it's fast food, you had to wait. I mean, Chick-fil-A, they have really been impressive in revolutionizing the, on, you know, the, the fast food process, the, the drive through process. But those lines, I mean, at lunchtime, you just cannot get in there and out of there in less than 30 minutes, can you? It's going to take a while. It's supposed to be fast. We get frustrated when our two-day delivery, they call it two business days, so they don't like work on Sunday or something. What is with that? I don't know why. Sometimes it doesn't get here. You get frustrated at password crackdowns that keep your streaming service from being as cheap as it used to be, or you get, you don't, all the shows you want have too many commercials, or those airplanes are great, but the security process to get on the airplane is frustrating, or that, that interstate, you don't even, you don't even thank the Lord for it because it's always crowded, or they're doing road work on it, and so you're just frustrated at that supposed convenience. All the things that technology has, has advanced and made things more accessible has not made us more patient. We are not a generation that, oh, now that we have access to these things, we don't stress or get anxious or in a hurry. We are no less in a hurry, perhaps even more in a hurry than any generation before. As long as there are elderly drivers and people who mess up our food orders and items not arriving as depicted in the description, we will find ways to be impatient and merciless with the people who are making our timeline not match up. So as long as we are uh, the ones being irritated, we don't love this. But what happens when we are the ones doing the irritating? What happens when we are the ones who made a wrong turn and we're having to make a U-turn and backing up traffic? What happens when we're the ones when we mess up in our job and other people are having to deal with our mistakes? What happens when, when we do something wrong and it makes other people have an inconvenience? What happens, well, I know it's probably only happened to you like once or twice, but what happens when you're the one in the marriage who makes a mistake and have to ask for forgiveness? All of a sudden, our lack of patience and our lack of mercy for other people feels a little out of place because now the one, we're the ones asking for patience. We're the ones asking, please be merciful to me. Please be, care, be, you know, be gentle with me. I, I didn't mean it. I won't do it again. We want people's mercy. We want people's patience. It's easy to justify our righteous indignation that we have every right to be merciless until we need somebody to show us mercy. And then we change our plans around a little bit. We have been spending this fall on this series, Behold Your God. Thinking about praying toward, anticipating, knowing God better in His attributes and His characteristics. In these last few weeks, we've been studying God's communicable attributes. That is, ways that we are called to be like God. Ephesians 5 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. There are certain ways that you and I will never be like God. You will never be all knowing. 
But just as God is love, He calls you and I to be loving people. We started this kind of section looking at God's goodness and His holiness, the kind of overarching descriptions of who He is. Nathan then preached on God's righteousness and justice. Last week, we looked at God's love and His grace. These are all ways we're called to imitate God. And so similarly, we take kind of sister characteristics today to last week, love and and grace. Today, we're taking mercy and patience. And in all these things, our goal is to look to the Scriptures and hold up the character of God so that our eyes are fixed on Him, our hearts are stirred by Him, that we begin to be transformed by knowing God better. Our world lives in a fast-paced, practical speed where we say, if it's not practical to me, I don't care about it. And I want to tell you over and over again, the most practical thing in the world is good theology. Because good theology is what determines whatever you do. You have a belief system that is informing your actions. And if whatever your actions are, is underneath them is some, some belief system, whether you know it or not. There is a, a belief system that says, this is what matters. This is reality. This is why I do what I do. And if you don't know what it is, you're going to live based on who knows what. But if the reality underneath us is the ultimate reality, God Himself, that's going to inform our lives. The most practical thing in the world is good theology. Fix your eyes on God. Let Him transform your life and let Him conform you to the image of His Son. And today my prayer is that He would make us, transform us to be more merciful and more patient. And I'll tell you, I've enjoyed some of these. This week is hard. (laughs) Patience especially is hard. Last week we talked about God's grace, that He gives unmerited kindness to His people. Today we come to God's mercy. We come to God's mercy. God's mercy is that He shows compassion for those who are hurting, people who need help. God shows mercy to those who need it. When we talk about His mercy and His patience, we're talking about attributes that we all, we know, we, we all know we need more of these. And some of the best teaching that, that in the Bible, I mean, it's all, of course, excellence, the Bible, but some of the ways that most impacts our hearts are Jesus' parables, is it not? Jesus tells a number of parables related to these ideas of mercy and patience and forgiveness, kind of all these related things. One of those is the one you just heard, one we frequently call the parable of the unmerciful servant. Jesus gives this parable in a question, uh, to, as an answer to a question that Peter had. Peter came to Jesus after, a question, after he'd been talking about forgiveness, and he said, Peter, thinking be, him being very generous, he says, you know, how many times should we forgive somebody who sins against us? Should we forgive them maybe seven times? Kind of the common thought kind of through the rabbis at that time was that three was probably enough. Like if somebody messes up three times, then you can kind of wash your hands of them and be done. But Peter, he's a nice guy. He's generous. And the number seven was kind of this number of perfection. So he more than doubled the expectation of the day. And he said, should I forgive him seven times? And Jesus takes his number, multiplies it by 10, and then adds it back to his number. So how about 77 times? The point isn't, of course, in the number. The point is you never stop forgiving. That's a pretty radical idea. And you think, why, why in the world would you do that? And so Jesus tells this parable. He says there's a a king who's got lots of people who owe him some money and he starts collecting his debts. He's going around saying, you you guys owe me some money. You owe me 10 bucks. You owe me $50. Okay, please pay your debts. He brings the one servant before him and his debt is 
10,000 talents. Your Bible might have a little footnote next to talent. Mine does, and it says it's about 20 years wages. So depending on how much money you make in a year, multiply that by 20, and then multiply that by 10,000. That's how much money this guy owed. So just to kind of take a you know, minimum wage or medium wage job, $15 an hour, $30,000 a year, $6 billion or so, you know, would be like the you know, medium-ish or so of what this guy owed. $6 billion. If he's making $30,000 a year, he owes $6 billion to the king. But he's got a plan. The servant has a plan to, to pay this back. He just needs a little more time. <laughs> right? He says, verse 26, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. <laughs> I hope you can hear that that's a little silly. Have patience with me, and I will pay you back. His debt, he's asking for more time, for patience. And that's a good place to start. If he's going to pay back his debt, he will need some more time. But he's going to need something else in addition to just a little more time. I mean, to count you know, interest and inflation and all that, it's going to take him like multiple lifetimes, maybe like 10,000 lifetimes to pay back the debt that he owes to the king, assuming that he doesn't incur any more debts along the way. So about 10,000 lifetimes plus some patience from the king, and he'll be all, he's got a plan. He's got a plan. He's got it all figured out. You can piece together why this, this, of course, there's a lot more parable here, but in this part, you can piece together why Jesus would tell this parable this way to Peter and to his disciples. He's not talking just about a debt that we owe to a king. He's saying this is a pretty accurate description of what your sin, the, 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 the debt you owe to God because of your sin. He says, you're going to need a lot of patience from God, like a lot, and a lot of lifetimes if you plan to repay it yourself. We have an enormous debt to God because of our sin. The debt we owe to God is infinite because the one we sinned against is infinite. You could not forever, if you had all kinds of lifetimes, you would keep incurring more and more sin and we would just, the debt is insurmountable. You could never repay all of your debt to God. This parable that Jesus tells us is an invitation to see the depth of our sin and then to see the even greater depth of God's mercy. Because as startling as this man's debt is and as ridiculous as his plan is for solving it, even more astounding is the next thing that happens. Verse 27, And out of pity for him, the master, the king of that servant, released him and forgave his debt. Six billion dollars, or whatever the number may be, we'll call it even. He lets it go. This morning, here's my invitation to you. Behold God's immeasurable mercy. There is a depth to God's mercy that you could never get to the bottom of. There is a height to God's mercy you could never reach the height of. There is a miraculous, incredible, glorious nature of God's mercy that you could never explore the ends of. God's mercy is immeasurable because our debt to Him is basically immeasurable. God is merciful. It's incredible. It's a gift. It is, it is gloriously good news that this king would give a good gift, give mercy to this servant. At the end of, verse, at the end of it, when he 
references back to this moment in verse 33. The king said, I had mercy on you. So he calls this forgiveness mercy. God's forgiveness is a type of mercy. It is showing kindness. It is showing compassion. It is showing love to somebody who has a need. Our need before God is a need for forgiveness. So we said last week, grace is God's goodness in the form of unmerited kindness. So mercy is a type of grace, but it is just kind of a different facet. And it's worth kind of distinguishing these just to celebrate how great God is. So God's mercy is His goodness toward those who are in some kind of misery or distress. God's mercy is His love for those who have a need. And our biggest need is to be forgiven. Maybe you know the story of of a group of friends who bring a paralyzed man to see Jesus one day. Jesus is teaching and they want to bring this paralyzed man to see Jesus because they know he has the power to heal. But there's too big a crowd in the house that he's teaching in. So they come up with a creative plan and they go up on the roof. They dig through the roof. They lower him down on a mat in front of Jesus. And you know what Jesus says to this man? Your sins are forgiven. Now, we don't get the man's response right then, but if you were a paralyzed man who had just been brought to Jesus and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, you might have been tempted to say, thank you, but that's not why I'm here. Can you see that I can't walk? I want to walk. Maybe this guy was more humble and he knew that. God did, Jesus did heal him later on, but the reason he started with his sins is that his sins were a bigger problem than his inability to walk. Our sins are our biggest problem. We need mercy. We need God's forgiveness. And His mercy is immeasurable. God, Jesus to all the people around Him is a wise triage uh, doctor in the emergency room. If, you're, if you are bleeding out, right, but you also have a, a broken pinky toe, don't deal with the toe until you stop the bleeding, right? If you're having a heart attack, address that before you deal with something else, right? you got to start with the most urgent thing. Jesus is a good, triage, a good emergency room triage doctor. He deals with the biggest need first, and our biggest need is forgiveness. Now, you think about this king. All that it would have been, for, he, he was saying, I, you owe me $6 billion. I don't know how that guy incurred that much debt, but that's what he could have been owed. And in place of him, the opposite, the, the, the alternative is pay the money or everybody in your family becomes a servant. By the laws of that land, you all become enslaved and indentured servant to the people. So he could have had a whole family's worth of servants or $6 billion. Instead, the king gets zero, which is to say it cost the king a lot to forgive this debt. And so it is that it cost your Savior a lot to forgive your sins. It cost the life of the Son of God. Hebrews 2.17, Therefore, Jesus, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of His people. The only way Jesus could be merciful to you is that a payment was made, and Jesus was that payment. He was the payment for our sins. Titus 3 Five, our salvation is called a gift of mercy. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. God's forgiveness is the first and greatest example of His mercy for us. But it is not His only one. God's mercy does not stop at just clearing a record of debt. 
He loves you even beyond that. Another way to think of God's mercy is not just His forgiveness, but His compassion. Consider another famous parable that Jesus told uh, that we call the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you know that story, it comes from a man who is, the reason Jesus tells that parable is that a lawyer comes to Jesus and says, uh, or talks about the, the, the most important commandments, love God and love neighbor, and he, but then he thinks he can kind of pin Jesus down. He says, but who's my neighbor? Right? He's trying to find a loophole. Like, if I can just love these people on this side of the street or this side of the tracks, but not these people, it'll be easier. So Jesus, tell me who my neighbor is. And so Jesus tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. The man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he is beaten and robbed and left to die on the side of the road. And three different people come by, a priest and a Levite, both religious leaders. And when they see him, they go around out of the way to make sure they don't come in contact and pass him by. But the third one is a Samaritan. And Jews and Samaritans did not get along in that day, so that was a surprising character to put into this parable. But when Jesus told him the story of the Good Samaritan, Luke 10, 33, says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He had compassion. This is a wounded man, a man who is left to die, who's been robbed, who has nothing and no way to help himself. And somebody else comes along, picks him up, puts him on a donkey, nurses his wounds, gets him to a place where he can be cared for, and pays for his stay. He shows compassion to the man who is hurt. So in this case, this was not forgiveness. Everybody's a sinner. Everybody needs forgiveness. But in that moment, the reason the guy was in the ditch was not because he had done something wrong. It's because wrong had been done to him. He was a victim of other people's evil. At the very end of the story, Jesus asked the man about which one of these people was a neighbor. And the lawyer answers, the one who showed him mercy. So this word mercy is about forgiveness, but it's also about compassion. It's about caring for people who have a need. The man in the ditch wasn't there because of his own sins. He was there because somebody sinned against him. God's mercy is God's forgiveness for, his, for our sins and God's compassion when we've been sinned against. You are human. Therefore, I can say you have sinned, right? And almost as equally, I can say you're human, so almost definitely you've been sinned against, right? And God has mercy for both. He has forgiveness and He has compassion. The beauty of the Good Samaritan story, I preached this at length in fall of 2020, uh, worth coming back to at some point. The beauty of the Good Samaritan story is in the ethnicities and the job descriptions of that parable. It's a Jewish lawyer that's asking the question that Jesus is talking to. In any parable, we're trying to put ourselves, who, who am I in that story? And when we hear the Good Samaritan story, we all want to be the Good Samaritan. We want to be the guy that rescues. We want to be the hero. But Jesus was speaking to a Jewish lawyer. A Jewish lawyer, first of all, he would not have considered himself a priest. He wasn't the priest of the Levite. Those have specific religious uh, th you know, jobs. That's not him. But he surely was not the Samaritan. The last thing a Jew wanted to be called was a Samaritan. There's only one guy left in the story. It's the man in the ditch. Jesus is saying, you've been good samaritan You have to recognize that you've been good samaritan before you can good Samaritan others. Jesus rescues us. He shows us compassion. He pulls us out of the ditch. And only when you've been rescued, recognize that you've been rescued out of the ditch, can you rescue others. God shows compassion to His children. He shows mercy to the ones that He loves, to 
us as his people. Behold God's immeasurable mercy. Behold his forgiveness. Behold his compassion. Jesus, as you read through any of the gospel stories, is just page after page filled with compassion. The word often used there is this kind of gut level uh, moved in his gut, moved in his bowels, where it's sometimes translated pity or compassion. Mark 1, 41, moved with pity. Jesus, this is Jesus. He stretched out his hand and touched a man and said, I will be clean. Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 20, 34, and Jesus in pity touched their eyes. Immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. God's goodness is his mercy to those who have physical needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs. God cares for those who are hurting, and that's all of us. He loves to show mercy. Mercy is what he shows to those who are in need, need of forgiveness and need of compassion. And if you're going to be a God showing any of those things, it's going to require an interrelated thing, which is patience. God is a God of patience. The most famous verse in the Bible in our day and age is John 3:16, but the Old Testament version of the most famous version book verse in the Bible had to be Exodus 34:6. Well, maybe Deuteronomy 6:4. I don't know. But anyway, this is what I want to talk about. Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. You want to define patience? There it is. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That verse is quoted verbatim at least eight or nine times I found. The people at the Bible Project who do great stuff they counted at least 27 different references to that verse, just not quoted in whole. It is quoted all the way through the Old Testament. You keep reading over and over again in the Bible, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Praise God that He is slow to anger. He does not fly off the handle at every time He is offended. If so, God would have left the handle a long time ago, right? Just, just one, one simple demonstration of God's patience as we think of time. God brought His people out of Egypt, right? All this miraculous things to bring them out into the promised land. That's where the Exodus 34 story comes. And He told them, after rescuing them in all kinds of different ways, listen, I, I did the saving. You have been saved. You didn't earn this. We're going to go into this land together. I'm going to dwell with you. You be my people. I be your God. I'm going to protect you and care for you. And I want you to live like my people. I want you to look like my people. You're different. And if you don't, there's going to be consequences. And there's a lot of those. One of those is Deuteronomy 28, 64 says, And the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples from one end of the earth to another. So it says, listen, if you mess this up, if you don't follow my commands, if you don't live like my people, this beautiful promised land I give you, you'll be out of here. You'll be scattered to the ends of the earth. You know how quickly the people deserved that? They deserved it to be scattered before they even got in. And as soon as they got in, they deserved to be scattered. Like, they deserved to lose the gift of the promised land immediately. Do you know how long God let them stay there? Well, Moses, you know, these are rough numbers just to kind of give you a ballpark. It's easy to remember. About 1,500 years before Christ is when Moses led the people out of Egypt and into the promised land. They went through the whole judge, Joshua and Judges and all that. David, King David, was about a thousand years before Christ in the land of the Israelites. 
So they've been, here about, they've been there about 500 years when King David was there. Do you know when the people actually were kicked out of the promised land? The year 586 is when Babylon overthrew Jerusalem. So 1500 minus 580, a thousand years. A thousand years he let them stay in the promised land, though they didn't deserve it from day one. You want to talk about slow to anger? I have a hard time making it to the minute and 40 seconds it takes my oatmeal to heat up. And I'm already like getting impatient and hungry, right? God waited a thousand years to bring the justice that the people deserved. And even then, you know how long they were in, in captivity? 70 years. And then he brought them back. What a gracious and merciful, slow to anger God. And he is still patient with us. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, as one, with that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Do you know why Christ hasn't come back yet? Because in His divine plan, He wants more people to know Him. He is patient, and He is waiting until His appointed time, so the more will repent. 2 Peter 3.15, just later in that same chapter, and count the patience of, the Lord, of our Lord as salvation. God's patience is a gift for you and I to be saved. His mercy is offered to us. And as the parable, uh, the original parable we looked at, or looking at, parable of the unmerciful servant, that mercy, it must be received. We read, uh, Sam read for us earlier out of Luke 18, the parable, another parable about mercy. Tax collector, sinner, two people go up to the temple. They pray a prayer. They both pray. Tax collector says, thank you, God. I'm not like, like, not like that scumbag, right? Tax collector doesn't even come all the way into the temple, stands far back, doesn't even lift up his head, and just says, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, I need your compassion. I'm a sinner. I need help. I need healing. And Jesus said, the tax collector goes home justified, not the Pharisee. To be somebody who needs mercy, we have to recognize it. We have to recognize that need, and we have to receive it. Which brings us back to the original parable, the unmerciful servant. After all, after this man had been forgiven, $6 billion or more, surely this guy's life is going to be changed, right? Surely now he will be a good guy and love other people as he's been loved. Or maybe not. You heard from that story. He leaves the king's, king's presence, and he goes out and finds somebody else who owes him some money. It's not a small amount of money, probably 20 weeks' wages or so, so, I don't know, 10, 20, $30,000. A significant amount of money. And he demands to be repaid. And when the guy uh, that he addresses, he says the exact same thing to him that he had said to the king. Have patience with me, and I will repay. Now, in that case, it's going to take a while. That's a lot of money. But at least it was reasonable. He was going to repay it. And that first servant said, no way, throw him in prison. Now, was he right to do that? It was just, wasn't it? The guy owed him money. Apparently, he hadn't paid it. He deserves to go to prison. And yet, even when I told this story to my kids this week, they were like, wait, 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 that's not right. And the servants around him, the, unmerciful, the servants around them said, wait, wait. And they went and told the king. And so this, this isn't right. This isn't right. If you've been forgiven, you ought to forgive. If you've received mercy, you ought, to receive, you ought to show mercy. If you have been forgiven a lot, you should forgive a lot. 
It's not just there's justice here and weighing out the balances. There is a, a deeper sense of truth and reality here, isn't there? That if you've been forgiven, it should change you. And if you haven't, apparently you haven't really received the forgiveness that's been offered. Or I might say it this way, the impatient and the merciless haven't accepted God's mercy. If we are impatient and merciless, it's because we haven't truly seen, we haven't truly acknowledged, we haven't truly accepted the mercy of God. If you find in yourself, like I find in myself, a desire to always be in a hurry and to be impatient with people and to be merciless with people, we have to wonder, where, where is our hearts? What are we looking at? What, do we re realize what's been done for us? Or are we forgetting God's mercy? God's mercy inspires our mercy. Luke 6, 36, be merciful. Why? Even as your Father is merciful. Colossians 3, 12 and 13, these great commands together. Put on then, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint, another forgiving each other. Why? As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. We've received mercy. We show mercy. And if we don't show mercy to others, it's because we haven't really received it. We read this phrase at the end of this parable in Matthew 18. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart. And the backwards kind of upside down reading of that is, wait, wait, so if I... Do I earn forgiveness by forgiving other people? No, you got, it. you got it backwards. Because God forgave you, you forgive others. But if you don't forgive others, apparently you haven't received the forgiveness in the beginning. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Matthew 5, 7. James 2, 13. For judgment is without mercy to everyone who has, who, uh, to everyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. One of the clearest indicators of somebody who has been forgiven is that they are forgiving. One of the clearest indicators of somebody who has received a lot of mercy is that they show mercy. And one of the clearest indicators that you haven't received that mercy is that you are merciless toward other people. Our mercy, our compassion, our patience, our bearing with one another comes from a place of having received a lot of mercy. Test that out on your own week this week. What's it like for you when people wrong you? How quick are you to respond? What happens when somebody cuts you off or somebody makes things hard at work or somebody snubs you or just has, they, they say something in anger? How do you respond when they do wrong you? And it is wrong. But how do you respond to that? In Matthew 18, the parable of the unmerciful, show, parable of the unmerciful servant shows us a, a process of what true forgiveness looks like. Look how, this, look how this parable lays out for us. When the king brings the servant before him, he doesn't just say, yeah, whatever you owed me, I'll, I'll forgive it. No, he names the number, doesn't he? When we want to forgive somebody, you've got you to name this sin. This, in this case, it was six, or we were saying six billion, but 20,000 talents. I mean, no, 10,000 talents, which is 20 years of wages. There we go. He names the sin. He names the debt. To forgive somebody, you've got you to name it. You guys, this is the wrong that has been done. But then it describes the king how? It says he took pity on him. The only way you're going to forgive somebody out of a heart that's been forgiven is if you have compassion for the one that has done something wrong 
to you. The next step was to cancel the debt, to absorb the, the, the cost of this, make this forgiveness legal and official. He says it's, it's wiped out. It means he takes the pain on himself. And then here's the crazy thing. He offers a restored relationship. You say, where do you get that? Well, the king was going to make him a slave, and instead he lets him go free as a servant, I mean, as a, uh, a citizen of the kingdom. So the relationship goes back to the way it should be. He's offering a restored relationship. But what happens at the end? Does he get to be a citizen? No, he becomes a slave. Why? Because he rejected the mercy. You see, the final step on forgiveness, and the only way you can be reconciled is if the forgiveness is received. If we for repent of our sins, if the one who has done the offending repents of their sins and changes, something changes in them. That's the only way forgiveness can be complete. There's a lot of heavy, hard things I considered tackling on here that I'm not. But for some of you, the, the, the offense done against you is a lot more than just being cut off in traffic a few days a week. Some of you have been through some really hard things. There's a lot of really tough questions about what does forgiveness really look like in really hard cases? Divorce, abuse, major betrayals. What does forgiveness really look like in those moments? Starting with the parable of the unmerciful servants, a good place to start, but there's a lot of other parables and stories that Jesus tells. But this helps us get on the, on the right foot, doesn't it? I've been forgiven, and I offer forgiveness. If that forgiveness is rejected, until, it's, until there's repentance, there's not going to be a restored relationship. It's going to take more time. Forgiveness is not the same thing as, as restoring trust, right? It's letting go of a debt, letting go of a, of a bondage that we have. But there's going to be some more pieces to this. But we live, we live in a broken world with lots of shrapnel from different places we've been hurt. It's going to take continual coming to the Lord and asking for His guidance and His wisdom as we forgive. We live in a broken world, and so forgiveness is going to come with a lot of endurance. It's going to require a lot of endurance. Romans 15, 4, Whatever has been written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance to Jesus Christ. You and I cling to some really big promises in Scripture, like Romans 8, 28, that He's going to work all things for good for those who are called according to His purposes. And some of you, all of us have experienced in some way or another, some just more than others, some, you've experienced some really bad things. How in the world can this work out for good? James 5, 7 and 8, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it received the early and late rains. So you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. We don't know how it's all going to work out, but Christ is coming back. And on that day, everything will be made right. I don't know how. I don't know why exactly it's working the way it does, but God does. He is in control, and He calls us to be patient. This week, if forgiveness is hard for you, if holding grudges is hard for you, if, not, if being impatient is hard for you, I encourage you to fix your eyes on God, who is merciful to you, who is patient to you, who is slow to anger with you. And may He shape and mold you more like the image of His Son. 
Because if we're honest, we're all a little more impatient than we would like. We're all a little more merciless than we would like. But may we receive the mercy of God. And may we show that mercy to others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for showing us so much mercy. Father, we confess we have given you every reason to abandon us, to forsake us. You have no reason outside of yourself to show us steadfast love, but you have made promises to your people to love us, to be steadfast in your commitment to us. And so, God, we thank you for showing your goodness to those, to us who are in such great need. God, may we receive that mercy and may we be transformed by it. May we show mercy to others like you have shown mercy to us. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.